weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. so excited to see you here this morning and uh, just want to welcome you to Airline Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us, want to thank you for taking time to be here. And if this is your first time visiting with us, we have a gift for you in the back. We'd love to give that to you after worship, just as a sign of our appreciation that you're here. And then as well, there should be a connection card. And, and also we, we have this new thing that we did put those on the pews this week, right? Put a few of them out there. You may be close to a QR code connection card. 
And so instead of the paper card, you can fill that one out just by scanning it on your phone. It's going to take you to the church website, um, and you can fill out an electronic connection card. Uh, just make things a little bit easier. And so we'd love to connect with you, to thank you for taking time to be here this morning. And so as you know, this past month, we've really dove into what we're calling our Freedom Campaign. And so as we work towards next Sunday being Freedom Sunday, and so we've shared kind of the, the debt, where we're at, and we've actually had people who have already started giving to that. And so you can see the updated numbers. And so if we have that picture, there we go. And so we started at almost 127 and we are currently sitting at 119, 237.52 to freedom. And so in just two weeks, we're almost six, we're over 6% of the way there. And so we're excited to see what God is doing as we pursue freedom. And just as we've shared, the purpose of this is not just to get out of debt, but for us to pursue financial freedom so that we can better engage our community, better engage the mission that God has given the church. And so next Sunday, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, these freedom campaign envelopes will be available. And so hopefully you've already got one of those. But then there's going to be a little card that's available today as well and will be available tomorrow. And this little card has a few options on it. As we've already talked, you may be interested in just giving a one-time gift. Praise the Lord for that. You, you have that option. Or maybe as you're praying about it, you're going, okay, we believe God is leading us to give X amount total. But... We can't do it all at once, so we want to divide that out over six months. That's another option. And then the last option is we believe God is leading us to give X amount per month. We don't have this lump sum in mind, but we know financially we can afford to give this per month. You have that option as well. And so what I want to encourage you to do is take home one of these cards as you're talking about it, praying about it as a family. And as you're going through this, just mark the option that you believe God's leading you to do. And so next Sunday, we're going to have a special time of offering. And so I want you to bring the card and put it, place it in the envelope when we take that offering next Sunday. And so on the other side as well, I encourage you just to cut that part off. And that part's just your pledge. And you place it in your Bible, place it on your fridge, just as a reminder, first and foremost, not just to give, but to pray as we embark on this mission together over the next few months to pursue financial freedom. And so as we started last week, my aim was for you to hear a little bit of the history of how this building came to be, but also what it would mean moving forward. Cause I can talk about it all day long, but at the end of the day, I was not here when the building was built. So I want you to hear from another who was, and so I'm going to ask Ms. Sheila to come up to share for just a couple minutes about, a little bit about the history and what it would mean to be debt-free. Then once Sheila's finished sharing, we're going to have another time of corporate prayer. So if you want to come gather around the altar, we'll invite you to come, and Ricky will lead us in that corporate prayer. Okay, well, when Pastor Zach asked me a few weeks ago to speak, 
I began carrying this notebook right here with me, and there's about 16 pages. And I started writing, and I started starting over, and I started writing, and I started starting over. And then I talked to Mike last week, and I said, I've got to follow you. And he said, just, just be yourself. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I may, there may not even be anything on this page that is shared, but I want to share my heart and my love for this place. Uh, Kirk and I have been here for a very long time, and when I say a very long time, I mean that our second date was in the old building that Mike referred to last week when he was talking, and that will be 40 years ago next month. That was our second date. That's where I met his mom and dad. That's where I met his sister and his family here at, at Airline. So to say that this place is special to us and that our roots run deep is, is very, very true. So since we have been here so long, we had the privilege of being here when a very tired, very small, and very weary congregation prayed for a pastor, a leader, someone to take us where we knew God wanted us to be, but we didn't know how. And he brought to us in 1988, Reverend Charles Perkle and his precious wife, Julia. Some of you were here and got to sit under his pastorate. Some of you came later and got to. Some of you have never met the man, but I know you have to know who he is if you've talked to any of us that have been here for a long time because he was very, very special to us. God sent him to us, I have no doubt. And one day in that small building that Mike talked about last week, he stood up and told a very small and still weary congregation that God had given him a dream and had given him a vision that God had a very special plan for this little church on this hill. And y'all, that's all it took because we knew first and foremost that Pastor Charles loved the Lord. We knew he loved God's word and very important piece, he loved us the very small and weary congregation. He loved us, all our mess and all our everything. He loved us. And we followed him. We followed the Lord and we followed him because he gave us that dream and that vision. He's, he made us dream big, bigger than we ever thought. And so we quickly outgrew that small little building. We had chairs everywhere and he didn't want to go to two services. He, that wasn't a, a dream of his. That was not what he wanted. He wanted this building. He wanted a beautiful place for us to come together and worship. And so we did it. We, we were all in. It wasn't easy, but we were all in. So we got to be here from the beginning, from the groundbreaking. Kirk was even on the building committee, so he got to make a lot of decisions. So if you don't like the carpet color, you go see him. I think he may be the only one left that was on the committee. So, I mean, when I tell you we were here from the groundbreaking up, it's, we were. I remember the Sunday... I don't remember the dates. Mike did a better job with dates, and I'm not particular about But the day that we all stood outside and dedicated this building, and then the choir marched in, and then the congregation marched in. Our son, our son sang the very first solo standing right there. I think he was like 10 that was sung in this building. Our children were saved here. They were baptized here. Our family... And our marriage was molded and made right here, all with God's leadership. 
my children got to be a part, and a lot of you that are grown got to be a part, and then there's parents in here of children who are a part of a children's music, of the children's program, the children's music program that we had here that Janice was in charge of. There used to be, we would have a hundred or more children on this stage in beautiful costumes singing God's word. They brought in their friends, some of their families didn't come to church, but they would come two times a year to watch the children sing. And we were able to do all that because we had this facility. We had the room. I remember lots of people that were saved here, baptized here, all because a man that loved the Lord, loved the word, loved us, had a dream. Now, these are all my stones. On February 4th, Pastor Zach had a sermon about stones. Those are all my stones from the past. And I know sometimes, you know, I'm getting older, you know, we talk about the past, and you do that to young people sometimes, and they're like, okay, let's, can we, you know, can we, can we talk about something else? But if we don't have those stones from the past, then we don't see his faithfulness. Between the sermons that Pastor Zach has been preaching and some of the things that we've been learning in a uh, small group, we have to have that to look on so that we know God's faithfulness. So now we'll fast forward many, many years, and once again, we are a very tired, once again small, weary congregation, and we're praying. There's not a lot of us left, but our roots are here. We're going to stay because God has us here. We don't know why sometimes, but, but he does. And so we begin to pray as a congregation again for somebody to come that loves the Lord, that loves the word, and that loves us and will lead us. And God, in his wonderful, wonderful wisdom, sent us Pastor Zach and Whitney. An answered prayer that we can see from the stones from the 80s that he's bringing us here in 2023, 22, the year that you came, 24? Well, now it's 24, but <laughs> when he came a year, a little over a year ago. So now I'm starting my stones over here. And now... This young man has a dream and a vision, and he loves the Lord, he loves the Word, and he loves us. And his vision is for us to get rid of the debt that we owe on this place. We've, we've worked on it for years, we paid it down, but now he's pretty much told us, shared with us that it's his vision. It's time for us to finish what we started. And I think God would have us do the same. He wants us to manage well what we've been given. And he wants us now to be able to pay this off so that he can do, we can do what he has meant for us to do. And that is to be able to go outside of these windows, outside of these walls, outside of these doors and spread God's love and then bring them back in here so that they can do as we are, making this home base to go out and to tell others about Jesus. And I can't help, this verse kept coming to my mind in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, we have been given and entrusted with so much. And so it tells us in this verse, Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's my theme verse for what Pastor Zach has asked us to do and for what all of us are on board to do is to pay off this debt. We've been entrusted with much, so it is time for us to, have, to be accountable for much, for us to have what is required for us. 
So I hope that all of you as individuals and families have been praying about what you're going to pledge, what you're going to give, because that is what is required of us. And I think we're all doing it with a happy heart. We know that we, the Lord has asked us to do this. Our leader who loves the Lord and loves us has asked us to do this. And this is going to be something so wonderful to place our stones on this side, our present stones, so that we can see his faithfulness. And then, you know, 20 years from now, somebody else can stand here and this can be their past stones and they can be sharing. But that's what we're supposed to do. So I just want to give you all the challenge as a family, as individuals in here, you've also been blessed with much, and it's required of us then to do what God would have us to do so that we can carry on. So if everyone that will, will gather around the altar. If you're more comfortable staying where you are, you're welcome to stay there, but we'll gather around the altar, and Ricky will lead us in prayer. I want to encourage everyone just take a moment, whether you're here or there, sitting out in the congregation, just take a moment and reach out and pray for what has been given to us and for God's leadership in this. And then I will try to close us out in a prayer. was given years and years ago, dear God, that, that we would do this, and we pray as this time comes that we'll be able to end this, this campaign and to be able to reach out and do what we're supposed to start in Jerusalem, that's home, we're a community church, and then to go to Samaria and the rest of the world, and dear God, we just pray that you will bless this and allow us to do that. We know there have been a, a lot of people come to know thee here in this congregation, here in this building, and we know that we're standing on holy ground. Thank you for all you do for us. Just please continue to watch over us. And above all, I pray, dear God, that we would do nothing but thy will and thy will only. And we ask all these things in thy son Jesus' name. Amen.
sing that, okay? And guys, just go to him, him of heaven, okay? Sing it out with me. Jesus, Jesus, that's good. How I proved all and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Y'all sound so good. I love to hear y'all sing so much. Um, we're going to go, guys in the back, I don't know if y'all got that. Let's go to Hymn of Heaven, okay? Hymn of Heaven. We have tried, uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and, you know, God's just moving and working and so we've adjusted a little bit there's a song called do it again that we tried to do last week well today we're going to try to do it again we're going to wait and do that song next week it does it does talk about god's faithfulness doing it again god do it again do it again so 
We're going to go right to this song, but I, I love this. Beautiful, beautiful song. Hymn of Heaven. Y'all sing it out, all right?
thank you, God, for your blessings. And holy are you, God, above all else. We love you and thank you for this wonderful time together today, Lord. Thank you. Time to pray, time to praise you, Lord. And now as we just enjoy the word this morning that you have for us, Lord, thank you for this time. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Doctor, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter number six. Joshua, chapter number six. And as you are turning there, I just want to ask you the question when was the last time you were simply awestruck by the might and the power of God? The last time you felt incredibly small when you contemplated the power of God? I remember the first time we went out west a few years ago, I remember we had grown up going to the mountains of Tennessee, and so we would, we, I don't know how many times we've been up to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and all throughout there, but I remember the first time we went out west and saw actual mountains, and standing there at the base of the Grand Tetons. Now in most situations, I do not feel like a small man. Typically in a room, I'm the largest individual. But there's something about standing at the base of the Grand Tetons, I felt incredibly small. And really what happened was I was just kind of awestruck as I stood there and contemplated a God that was so mighty and a God that was so powerful and a God that was so large that could craft those mountains. And I was awestruck at the thought of that. Another time that was still quite memorable but much less fun we went golfing one day. You want to see an awestruck moment, watch me play golf. Awestruck or dumbfounded, which one's the right word? Dumbfounded. Um, but we were out there playing golf, and it was me and Mike and Taylor and Zach who preached here a few weeks ago. We were we went inside, we had finished the front nine, and we went inside for a break, and it was a rain delay. The weather was bad. And so we, we ate lunch and hung out. Well, the weather cleared out, or so we thought. And so we go back out to start the roundup again. So now we're starting, I can't remember if it was the front nine or the back nine or where we started. But the very first hole we go to, we're getting everything set up. We're getting ready to tee off again. And as I think Taylor was at the tee, 
I was fourth in line, and so I'm kind of standing here. If, if that's the tee box right there, we're all standing there. Out of nowhere, we see a bright light and hear a crack. And from me to about where the pulpit is, there was a tree that was struck by lightning. Bark goes flying everywhere. The cart path of the cement on the cart path is broken in two. That's how close we came to Airline Baptist Church losing its church staff. <laughs> that distance. And once the panic subsided and the adrenaline rush went away, it was kind of an amazing experience, experience to look back on that I felt incredibly small and mortal in that moment. I was awestruck by a God so powerful that could just split a tree. Now, I don't know what sin I needed to confess. I confessed all of them in that moment. But I remember just being amazed. Again, after the fear and panic went away, being amazed. Did something that left you going, man, that's a big God. Like that's a God that is incomprehensible. That it doesn't make sense that God could do that. And really where we are in Joshua chapter 6 is that we see God do something powerful. Something that doesn't quite register in their minds that God could do something this mighty. God can do something this profound. And so we all know the story of Joshua 6. We sung songs about it in kids ministry, right? about the walls of Jericho tumbling down. But the question I want us to wrestle with, even before we get there, is how did the Israelites position themselves to see God work? How did they position themselves to see God work? Because I believe that if we position ourselves in a similar manner, we too can see God work. We too can see God do powerful things. We too can see God do things that make us step back and go, that is a big God. That is a God that is beyond my comprehension level. So Joshua chapter 6, a few things I want us to notice this morning. First, starting in verse 1, we see the divine command, the divine command. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. So to set the scene, Joshua paints us a picture of Jericho that they've heard about the Israelites. They've heard about the God of Israel. And so what did they do? They close everything up. They're, out, they're working out of this fear 
of Israel. This fear of the God of Israel. So they batten down the hatches. They close everything up. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. God tells Joshua, look, I've already given it to you. It's yours. He says, notice his instruction. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So notice God's command here. Instead of going, okay, Joshua, you're going to plan a frontal assault and you're going to station another regiment of men over here and you're going to do this. No, what does he tell them to do? To march around the city. Now, like, I, I didn't study at West Point. Like, I don't know anything about military tactics. But it seems to me like this isn't really something you want to do before engaging in battle. Like instead of just starting the fight, you want to delay a week. And not only do you want to delay a week, you want to give the enemy a good picture of how many troops you have. I don't know, maybe I'm missing something but to me, that does not sound like sound military strategy. But yet, this is what God commanded Joshua. Why? Because God's command was not about strategy. It was about faithfulness. What God was commanding Joshua to do had nothing to do with their tactics. It had everything to do with their faithfulness to God. Whether they were actually going to take God seriously at his word. Whether they were actually going to trust God to be God. God commands them to march around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. So not only on the seventh day, you're going to go into battle. You're going to go into battle tired. Because you've been marching seven times around the city. But it's not about strategy. It's about faithfulness. Because in this, God wanted Israel to see it wasn't about Israel. It wasn't about how strong their army was. It wasn't about how great their military tactics were. It was about how great their God is. See, how often do we get frustrated with God because it seems like 
his plans and his way of working things out just doesn't make sense. And yet God's trying to teach us the same lesson. It's not about how great we are. It's about how great he is. So he gives them this command. And so we see Joshua, verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. So Joshua doesn't question. Joshua doesn't go, okay, God, is this really what we need to do? We, I think we really need to get into the battle sooner than later. He simply is faithful to what God commands him to do. And so we see this divine command, but then we move to verses 8 through 14, and we see them following the command. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priest who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. And Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall in any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Notice Josh is ve- Joshua is very precise in this faithfulness. That God's command is precise here. They weren't to shout whenever they wanted to. They they weren't to go, okay, he wants us to a total of 13 laps around the city. So what if we just did two per day and then the last day we did three and then we've made the right number? No. Because faithfulness requires precision. Being faithful to what God has called us to do is not ambiguous, nor are we free to define faithfulness in however we want to. To be faithful to who God is and what God has called us to do requires precision, that we have to know exactly what God has called us to do. We have to know exactly who God has called us to be, it requires precision. But we keep reading. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. Not only does faithfulness require precision, it requires patience. We got to talking about it this morning in life group. How often do we get frustrated 
with where we are in our walk with Christ. And our point of reference is Monday of last week. You see, the metric for evaluating one's walk with Christ is not a week, nor is it a month. The metric for your growth in Christ is where you are in 10, 20, 30 years compared to where you are today. You see, faithfulness is easy over three, four, five days. I can knock it out of the park for three, four, five days. Anybody can. But what about putting, stacking together three, four, five days with six, seven days and stacking a week on top of that and a week on top of that and a week on top of that and a month on top of that? You see, that's where growth in Christ begins to take place. See, our objective is not to be faithful to what God has called us to do individually and corporately for a short moment. Our objective is to be faithful to what God has called us to do for a lifetime. It's not about a 40-meter dash. It's about the marathon. It's not about, hey, what can we do next week? It's, hey, what's God calling us to do over the next 5, 10, 20 years? You see, this is something that God's been working in my heart about as a pastor. Is, yes, we want to minister well to our current context. But are we thinking about the generations that come after them? Like we want to take care of the kids in the nursery today. But are we setting ourselves up to take care of when the kids in the nursery have kids in the nursery? Are we doing things today that place us on the trajectory for that kind of discipleship? Or are we simply looking to today and today only? Faithfulness requires patience. Surely about day three or four of, the sit, of walking around the city, questions had to be asked, what are we doing like we're just walking around the city. We could be back at the camp sharpening the swords. We could be doing something else to prepare for the battle. We're tired. We've got blisters. Nope. Do another lap. Do another lap. You see, what if instead of growing tired, we ran with patience. We were faithful to what God has called us to do. So we see the divine command, we see following the command, but then third, we see them executing the command. 
Verse 15. On the seventh day, they arose at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was, the, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with, with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Notice this, that faithfulness understands God's purpose. Now, if you'll just allow me for just a moment, because we were introduced here with what some would call a problem in the book of Joshua. That, that what do we make of this, of God commanding his people to enter into Canaan and to bring about destruction? And you see this in kind of scholarship and academia. It's oftentimes referred to the concept of holy war or Yahweh war. You'll see that kind of terminology. And the central question is this, what do we make of a holy, righteous, loving God commanding his people to go in and to take out Canaan? It's a fair question. And so people have wrestled with this for centuries. And there's a variety of different views on this. You, you have some that are really kind of on the radical view of kind of discontinuity between the Old and New Testament who would say that's the God of the Old Testament. We don't know that God. We have a God of the New Testament who is kind, nice, and loving. But then there's kind of a softer view of that, which would say that's a difficult text. We don't really want to address it. So hear me. I make no qualms with addressing difficult text. But we take the view that we don't really want to handle that, we don't want to deal with it, so let's just unhitch from that. But then there's some on the other side that would take a continuous view, which I think is a dangerous view to take. So here's what I would argue, that it's a little bit of, both. There's a level of continuity here, but there's also a level of discontinuity here. Because what we see in God commanding his people to take over Israel was actually an action of judgment against the Canaanites. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. When God gives the command to Abram to go, he makes this promise that his descendants would go to Egypt for 400 years. Why? Because there's this little clause in there that says, for the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is well aware of the sin and the wickedness that was about to run rampant in Canaan. So God is going to judge the sin in Canaan. The issue becomes the instrument that God uses to judge that sin. And so we see, often, we see this throughout the Old Testament, right? 
early in the book of Genesis, sin runs rampant throughout the earth. So what does God do? Floods the earth. There's an act of judgment upon sin. When Lot was fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah, why was he fleeing? Because God was raining down fire and brimstone from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And so when we come to the conquest, God is bringing judgment upon Canaan because of their sin. And his instrument is the people of Israel that he's using. Which God is incredibly consistent in. Because we get to the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is questioning God. And God tells Habakkuk that he's judging Judah. And the instrument of his judgment against Judah is the Babylonians. To which God says he will then turn around and judge the Babylonians. So what is consistent about that? That in both Old and New Testament, God judges sin. And God is faithful and just to do that. And so what's going to happen at the end of time? God is going to judge sin. And his righteousness will reign. That is consistent. Both Old and New Testament. The day will come when God will make all things right. When God will judge sin. So then what is discontinuity? Discontinuity is this, that God is not seeking to establish a geopolitical state today. As he was in Joshua's day. But you see, the gospel is forming a kingdom which does not come by the sword. It comes by the word of God. You see, the gospel, come, the gospel forms a kingdom, not by capturing people, but by capturing hearts. So that's where it's different. But you see, in order to be faithful to what God had commanded them to do, they had to understand God's purposes for them, what God was seeking to do in this. The same is true for you and I today. We have to be faithful to God's purposes for us. That for each and every single one of us, God has given us a purpose for our lives. We have to find what that purpose is. But not only that, corporately, God's given us a purpose as a church. And faithfulness is clinging to that purpose. So we see God gives this command and we see his purposes in that. Verse 18, but you, but you keep yourselves from the things that are devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So we see a second concept. We see 
kind of God's purposes in this idea of holy war. But we also have to understand faithfulness shuns temptation. You see, as they're going in, God institutes what's known as the ban. The ESV translates it as things devoted to destruction. The Hebrew term is harem. And it's kind of difficult to translate exactly what the word is. But essentially it is an object that is devoted to God's use and God's use alone. And God's using it as a means of destruction and judgment. But notice that it cuts both ways. Because if they were to take from these things devoted to destruction, what does God tell them would happen to them? That they would be devoted to destruction. God is completely just in both sides of it. But you see, the, imagine the temptation. They've been wandering in the wilderness. They've just crossed into the promised land. Surely God would let us take some stuff. We've got to set up our own cities. We've got to build our own infrastructure. We need some money to interact with the world around us. Nope. All of this is devoted to destruction. Because again, the purpose in this is not to build their cities, to have wealth and power. The purpose in this is God giving them the land and identifying himself as the God of the heavens and the earth. But you see, the temptation would have been there. It's a nice piece of gold. That's a nice piece of silver. Surely we can take this back to the tent. No. That's devoted to God. So faithfulness says, I keep my eyes on the mission that's in front of me and the task that God has given me, and I don't drift to the shiny thing. I don't drift to the thing that makes sense now. No, I cling to God. See, because we all deal with temptation. We all deal with the allure of the shiny thing. We all deal with the thing that we think makes sense now. Instead of clinging to God. Quote that I love is that we are infatuated with the stuff of future yard sales. I mean, just think about it. How often have you found yourself in life going, I need this now? And then in 10 years, you, it's either in the garbage or you stick a 25 cent sticker on it for a stranger to come by and get it. But in the moment, like it seemed like it was going to make or break your life. And yet, 10 years down the road, it was meaningless to you. Faithfulness says, no, my eyes stay fixed here. 
But then lastly, we see faithfulness sees God's work. Verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city. And they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. You see, because they stayed the course, because they had their eyes fixed on God, they were able to be in a position to see God work. God's work wasn't dependent upon them. But they were able to position themselves to see it. Like, hear me this morning. God's ability to save people in this community is not dependent upon Airline Baptist Church. God is God. you know what, I, I just want to be a vessel that God uses in that. I want us as a church to position ourselves so that we can see it. God doesn't need us. He doesn't require us. But we can position ourselves as a church to go, God, let us just have a front row to see it. God, we know you're God, we're not. We know you're all powerful, we are not. But we wanna cling to you so that when you do work, we're in a position to see it. For sake of time, we'll just briefly look at these last few things. We see that they move from executing and following the command to remembering the promise. Verses 22 through 25 deal with them going and getting Rahab. But I want you to notice verse 25. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I want you to see that faithfulness produces belonging. Faithfulness produces belonging. Say, so what do you mean by that? The Joshua was faithful to Rahab for what Rahab had done. And so by Joshua being faithful, he reaches out the hand to bring Rahab and her family in. So he extends the invitation. But by Rahab being faithful, she finds a place to belong. And then the chapter ends with the promise for the future. 
Joshua issues this oath. He said, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up his gates. See, Joshua's reflecting back on the past of what God had just accomplished, what God had just done. So he says, let it not be built again. You see, faithfulness makes us look back to the past to anticipate God's future work. Makes us look back to the past to anticipate God's future work. So as we wrap up this morning, this comes to our central idea. And you've probably already picked it up by now. But it's simply this. God's power is demonstrated as his people faithfully follow his commands. God's power is demonstrated as his people faithfully follow his commands. You see, I I wrestled this week with the the terminology I wanted to be using in this. I wanted to be intentional about it. Because when I first started writing this sermon, as Mike and the band come back to the stage, instead of faithfulness, I was using the term obedience. And the more I thought about it, the more I wrestled with it, I go, I don't think obedience is the right word. Because this isn't a behavioral modification sermon. The pastor just tell me what I need to do and I'll white knuckle grip this thing into submission and I'll get it done. That's not my aim. Because there's a difference in obedience and faithfulness. Because obedience just simply says, you tell me what to do and I'll get it done. Faithfulness says, you tell me what to do and I'll do it because I want to be near to you. Faithfulness denotes proximity. why do we struggle to be faithful to what God has commanded? I think first and foremost, it's our natural disposition. As fallen sons and daughters of Adam, we have this natural inclination in our heart to want to do things our own way. To think we can find satisfaction 
apart from God. It's our natural disposition. But then we're also at war with our natural desires. I like what I like. I like my comfort level. I like my convenience. And when God's at work in my comfort level and my convenience level, that's fantastic. But how often has God actually worked in that small of a bubble? To work in our comfort, to work in our convenience, to work in our small desires. So how do we grow in faithfulness? First, we recognize our natural disposition is to wonder. The old song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like that's our natural heart. So if my natural tendency is to wonder, I must be continually stepping back closer to God. But then second, my natural desires It's a constant exchange of desires. God, I want to be faithful to you, but I recognize I have these desires in my heart. Would you give me your desires instead of my desires? And as we grow in faithfulness to him, we'll see God work be able to position ourselves just as Israel did to have the front row seat to see God be God so if you need to come pray this morning this altar is open if you need somebody to pray with Clint will be standing to this side I'll be standing to this side but let us just draw near to him this morning to ask God to help us walk faithfully with him because at the end of the day he's always been faithful to us let's pray Father God we love you we thank you we praise you be with us now God help us to walk faithfully so that we see you work in mighty ways. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to Jesus.
Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you have a great President's Day. And so um, just sitting here thinking before we go, a mighty God, a powerful God. Um, I don't want to put her on the spot, but sitting here we have Abby and baby Natalie. And so many of you have loved on them and prayed for them and encouraged them. Um, while they spent several months down at Choa. And so just a blessing to see them here in person with us this morning. And so on your way out, um, tomorrow night we'll have Iron Men. And so encouraged to be here um, for our men's ministry, um, kicking that back off. And so tomorrow night, Iron Men, no Wednesday night activities this week across the board. Um, so no Wednesday night. We're starting back up a new series of midweek equip classes next Wednesday night. We're going to have two. We're still ironing out the details. Um, one's going to be a married class on Song of Solomon. And so Chip is going to be teaching that class. And so I encourage you to come be there for that. And we're also going to be having a general co-ed class if uh, you, you're not interested in Song of Solomon or not interested in hearing Chip teach Song of Solomon, um, you'll have that option as well. But again, thank you so much for being here this morning. We'll ask Mike to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for this wonderful day and this time together. God, it's just been a blessing all day from rehearsal early this morning, God, to our Sunday school classes, our life groups, our worship together, and our pastor's message this morning god i'm just seeing you work and and hearing sheila's testimony of of the stones in her life and all the things god that we've all experienced and seen and even this morning to experience a big stone in the life of abby and omar and their family is you've done what you did bringing this little tiny baby through heart surgery and all the things that she's been through and she's here in the house this morning, and God, what a, what a blessing that is. We give you thanks for answering prayer. So, God, you guide us, and you keep us mindful of, of you. Help us to always remember your power, your ability. In whatever situation we might find ourselves in, to always give you the praise and the, and the glory forever and ever. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. <laughs>